1: Welcome to That's Truths. I am Augustine Erskine and alongside me is Pastor David Murphy and we'll be continuing our topic on Christian education. As we began last week, we embark on that subject of Christian education and we address the questions related to the core truths of Christian education, the purpose of Christian education. Christian Education and its Relationship to Human Development, the Responsibility for Christian Education, and the Content or Curriculum of Christian Education. And I do trust that you have learned a lot, and you are here tonight to learn some more as we continue this topic. Tonight, we want to continue in this vein by taking a further look at Christian Education. Let me say a very pleasant good evening to Pastor Murphy. Uh,
2: Good evening, Brother Erskine, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program this evening.
1: Okay, Pastor Murphy, let's begin by trying to understand the secret behind the success of Christian education. Why do you think Christian education is so successful?
2: Well, I, I think if you take the statistics in terms of the results for either the primary school or the secondary schools in Antigua, uh, you'll see that the Christian schools are very much in the forefront of um, the success. Uh, I think that this success is attributable to several factors, and I think there are a matrix of what I call interlocking uh, factors that help to uh, explain the phenomenal success of the Christian school. Uh, one of the uh, things I think that is the overarching reason um, has to do with the the umbrella biblical philosophy that the Christian Church has, and the Christian school has which main concern is really to glorify God and conform the child to the image of Jesus Christ. Every educational system and philosophy has to have a um, an overarching purpose. And I don't think you can find a more ennobling purpose than that, to glorify God and to conform uh, the students to the image of Jesus Christ. I think this is this is what motivates Christian education and which uh, makes it to, to desire to excel and to achieve uh, the best results. The other thing, of course, is not only the philosophy, but also the, the principal and the teachers. Um, the Christian school teacher um, not only loves their God, but they also love the students and this motivates them to try to bring out to the child the best that's within the child and they try to be a model and try to be an example to the students and uh, they try to pursue what is called academic excellence within the classroom so it's not just the overall philosophy uh, but it also has to do with the principal and the teachers these are the vital factors involved in the success of the christian school and then of course we can't neglect the curriculum uh, most Christian evangelical schools are either using ACE or they're using a BECA or they're using the Bob Jones curriculum. Um, the student books and also the teacher's manuals that are given, that um, uh, um, are used within these different systems of education, uh, they are pedagogically sound and they're excellent in terms of the material that's presented. Uh, every subject, every discipline is presented from... Uh, a Christian point of view and the Christian understanding of truth, science, history, man, values. Everything uh, that is presented within the the Christian school is colored uh, by uh, this concept of uh, Christian truth. Um, Generally, uh, Christian education augments the secular curriculum. And what I mean by that, in most Christian schools, they're using the same books that the government school would use But in addition to the government school material, they have the additional Christian presentation of that material from a a biblical perspective. You would know that in Antigua, uh, because it's a West Indian country, we have a curriculum that's prepared by West Indians for West Indian people. But the biblical principles that relate to the subjects that are taught within the school uh, are as relevant uh, to the West Indian situation. But we still have to teach, um, along with the West Indian textbook, We still enhance that by adding the the Christian uh, curriculum to the the, um, educational process. This augments the education of the child and uh, enlarges the education of the child. So the Christian school really is given more than the public school. And I think generally speaking, you will discover that uh, governments try to gobble up uh, Christian teachers and bring them from the Christian school into the government setting. We've had that happen repeatedly in our own school uh, because of the the offer the government can give vis-a-vis what the, uh, the school can give. So it's not only the philosophy, the over- overarching philosophy, the principal and the teacher, and uh, their desire to excel in what they're doing and the curriculum, but I'll also add that there's the environment, whether it be the physical, social, moral, or spiritual or relational environment. Uh, everyone knows that the environment is crucial. it it sets the tone for the educational process. And in the Christian school, you've got order, you've got discipline, you've got minimal noise, you've got safety and security. You've got a personal sense of love and care that comes from the teacher and the principal. And then, above all else, you have the pursuit of academic excellence. When you have that kind of an environment, uh, it is not only conducive to to learning, but it also enhances the learning process and it helps the child uh, to learn better. And then the, another factor that I think is, is crucial in terms of to explain our success is the values instill uh, both directly and indirectly into the life of the children. Uh, values such as honesty and courtesy and respect, uh, the idea of being responsible, um, the, the need to study and to work hard, the fact that we must practice obedience, we must live in the fear of God, belief in the absolute uh, supremacy of the scripture, and we even instill the desire that you honor your parents and you respect your elderly and uh, you do your homework. And uh, These are all values that are emphasized within the Christian school, and this helps to enhance the product uh, of the Christian school. And then I must add one other thing, Erskine, and that is the chapel service. Now, in addition to the chapel, which normally takes place every week, where we bring in um, a speaker from the different churches, uh, which w- were used then to challenge the students in the way of godliness, uh, each classroom normally would have a devotion on mornings. And uh, so there's a time of prayer and devotion with the children on mornings, uh, with the teachers and their own students. I think that when you take this entire package, uh, you can understand very clearly wh- wh- how this helps, to, um, uh, helps the school to, to succeed and why it has been so well-received within the public community. And there are many, many parents who are opting for the Christian school education vis-à-vis the public school education because they feel the child is more secure, they're getting more, they're getting the discipline, they're getting the morals, and, of course, they're getting, uh, in addition to what the normal public school would get, they're getting an additional form of education from a Christian perspective. I think when you take those elements together, It helps to explain why we've had such a phenomenal success uh, in Christian education here in Antigua. And I hope that continues, Uh, but it will have to continue as the, only can continue sorry, if the principal and the the church leaders understand the importance of Christian education and why we need to excel uh, in every area, including uh, education.
1: But Pastor Murphy, is it just the um, Antigua setting or the Caribbean where you find that the Christian education is much more successful than... Um,
2: well, if you, t- if you leave out the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, which have uh, several um, private Christian schools, and you look within the Caribbean region, English-speaking Caribbean region, I think Antigua is a very unique country in terms of Christian education. Um I cannot explain it, and I've been trying to grapple with it, try to understand uh, the reason why the Antiguan public seem to be so sold in the Christian school. You know, Christian education is not cheap. I mean, you you have the option of going to a government school where you get free education, but yet parents prefer uh, to have their children within the public school. And I think Antigua is very unique in that regard. I really hope it continues, uh, but I remember in in Barbados, um, where I'm from, there were a lot of private schools uh, when I was growing up as a boy. I think that we probably got about maybe half a dozen now that have been able to survive, uh, because after the government brought in universal uh, second education and primary school education, a lot of parents, rather than uh, opting for the private school, uh, turned to the public school. And as a result, a lot of those schools had to close. Antigua is different in that regard. Uh, I think if we had more room in our school, we could probably add another 100 uh, next term. And I think the phenomenal success of, of uh, the uh, Jonas' school, uh, I think it's probably the best school in the island right now, to be very honest with you. I think their success rate is just amazing, and I think they're doing a, an incredible good job. And in spite of what people might have heard, and I've heard some negative things, I only got praise for the school there, and I got praise for the administration and those who uh, have led this phenomenal um, success within the the Christian school. And I think um, it's—I'm just very, very pleased with the work they're doing and uh, the fact that um, they really, by being so successful, uh, have enhanced uh, the Christian school product and I just would like to commend them for the fine work they're doing. Hope they keep it up. And uh, we too are in this uh, particular race, and we are actually trying to do our best as well. Uh, But um, I must admire that that school and the success it's had, both at the primary level and at the secondary level. But this Antiguan thing is is just a a wonder within the Caribbean, to be very honest with you. Look, I was in um, St. Lucia, and they tried to start Christian schools in St. Lucia and they weren't very successful. I think if you go there you find very, very few Christian schools. I don't think, you might find one uh, secondary school in, in St. Vin- Lucia that might be a Christian school. The same thing also in uh, St. Vincent. Um, most of the schools that were founded by Christian leaders and were were trying to uh, advocate a Christian philosophy of of, uh, education, most of those have now become secularized because of these scholarships and um, uh, the public school, etc., etc. So uh, Antigua must be given credit uh, for this unusual uh, interest and commitment to Christian education, and I hope it continues in the future.
1: I was thinking that... um Christian education started um, long ago with um, the Moravians and the Methodists. They started Christian education, and Antigua have been having a history of that. So probably it's the um, continuation of that.
2: Well, I I think if people know the whole story of um, universal education... Um, governments never started universal education. That was not the motivation. The motivation for um, universal education actually came out of the Reformation where Luther believed that every t- person should be able to read the Bible in their own language and not have to depend on the priests who only understood um, Latin. Remember that even in the Caribbean, uh, the Catholic Church preached in Latin and did everything in Latin. As a matter of fact, I, I still smile when my wife tells me that in her day, her sister will be reciting Latin at nights in her sleep. She doesn't know a word of Latin. Uh, but the point I'm making here is that uh, Christian education really is a, a byproduct of the Reformation. And universal education is a byproduct of the Reformation. And if you were to study all the great um, people that laid foundation for education, like um, um, I was trying to, I was reading some today, Comius, uh who was a Moravian. Uh, He did a phenomenal job in in, in terms of educational uh, philosophy. The guy Hobart as well uh, was a a Christian. Um, I think if you were to study it, you'll see that uh, they made tremendous contribution to the advancement of uh, education. A lot of these uh, original thinkers in terms of universal education uh, were either pastors or bishops, uh, but they were phenomenal Christians. That advocated uh, education and actually laid the foundation for solid education. And also remember, Brother Erskine, that all the great universities in America, whether it be Harvard or or Princeton or Yale, every one of those universities were formed to train ministers of the gospel. The same thing was true of England, uh, Cambridge and 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 uh, th- those universities. Uh, they, it was always to train men for the ministry, and then of course they became secularized and consequently um, they lost their focus until they become completely humanistic uh, institutions today that no longer hold the Christian principles. But all the great universities, including some in France and some in Germany as well, all of these were, were at once great uh, institutions. And remember that it was a church that founded university education. It was not the, not the government, mm. see. So we have a rich heritage of education and, and thankful to God it continues today. As you mentioned, the Moravians, even the Catholics, by the way, they so have some of the best schools in the world as well, to their credit, we must say.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Murphy. You're listening to that Truth. Pastor Murphy, you mentioned about values, but is it not generally that the parents are more concerned about academic performance than... Moral values that the te- either the teacher, uh, the 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 life or the model that the the children see in the school.
2: Yeah, uh, look, I I think it's one of the great failings of uh, parents. It's also one of the great failings of uh, uh, um, education institutions um, that people have become indifferent to the assault that is made on Christian values and Christian morals. Um, I don't think anybody can underestimate the importance of uh, imparting values and morals to children because they're actually going to be the future. I read one or two quotes um, this week, and I'd like just to read one to you. Um, uh, one of the persons that I read, and I, I don't have the name uh, available at this point in time, uh, said these words, to educate the mind without the restraint of a moral conscience is to create a menace to society. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, it are not just to give children academic knowledge and technical knowledge and IT and science and maths and English and um Along with the business studies etc cetera, et cetera, I think it's important to understand that it's far more education is far more than just the academic it also involves in partaking of values in partaking uh values and uh, morals uh, If we are going to a- avoid the decline in society, we have something to do to arrest uh, the moral decline that we're currently on a path to. And if we're going to avoid the charge of being uh, morally biased or partisan in our know, rhetoric about morals, we need to understand that education is a value laden activity. I repeat, education is a value laden activity. Teaching does not take place in a moral vacuum. Um, all education is anchored in some system of value and beliefs that guide the educational process and the goals of the education. So ultimately, uh, the teacher and the student uh, cannot successfully pursue their objectives unless they are sure about uh, their own values and their own orientation and the criteria by which they are going to evaluate uh, their progress and their success. In fact, uh, uh, the, the word education itself is, comes from a Latin word which is called educere, and that word means to guide out of or to lead forth. The vital question, therefore, in education is where are we leading the children from and where are we leading them to? In a sense, uh, we are moving them from ignorance to knowledge, from darkness to light, from confusion to clarity, from error to truth, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness, from humanism uh, to God. And to accomplish these goals, we must have some kind of a reliable reference point that undergirds all the teaching that we do within the school. And I believe that of all the philosophies that control and influence uh, human action, only the Christian provides a reliable reference source, which is God's Word, uh, which give meaning and appropriate direction to the educational process. So the goal that we should have, uh, overall goal in education, is actually the discovery of ultimate truth. And that's where i believe that the christian school system and the christian educational process really um has uh um for for lack of a better word have an edge on education because it understands uh, the importance of ultimate truth as being the final goal of the whole entire educational process So I'm saying to you, Brother Erskine, that despite the fact that parents seem to be more concerned about the academic aspect of the child's success, I think it's a reflection uh, of their own devaluation of morals and values that this has taken precedent in the child's life. I would rather have a child that when he leaves school, he has a a firm foundation and belief in God and and have good morals than a child who comes out of school who's an Einstein but turns out to be a devil. Uh, because we, we've got to remember that um, education will, uh, you know, academic give, academic depth, the academic uh, success will give you a job. But there are many people who have a job but who don't know how to live. And they can't seem to be successful in life in spite of the fact that they're brilliant in terms of their understanding of having academic knowledge. But they don't have the morality that undergirds that, that academic knowledge to enable them to live successful lives. So we need a balance between the academic and the morals and the values within the school system. It cannot be exclusively that of the domain of the academic.
1: So we should be much more concerned about the um, moral values than the academic um, performance of our uh, child. Yeah, I
2: would say we need a balance in this whole thing in, in terms of uh, christian education we, we we always try to excel in whatever academic discipline is being taught that is the game we can' we can 't be inferior to any public school in terms of our our goal to, if we have a uh, we 're teaching math we want to uh, excel in mathematics if we teach in English we want to excel in English we want teaching teach in geography we 're teaching uh, history we want to excel in those areas but to us, that is not the end of education. The end of education really is to glorify God and conform the student to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the overall goal that we have. And I think we have to keep a balance between the two. Now, we, we can't have a, a school, by the way, that only emphasizes religion and emphasizes good morals and good values and, and perform bad, badly academically. As a matter of fact, that's a bad testimony to the church. So we need to keep this balance uh, within the school system, and parents need to understand the importance, not only of the academic part of it, but also the value and the moral part of education as well.
1: You know, I'm kind of uh, concerned that there are some Christians who would go to a secular um, college or university, and all those um, values that they've been taught Seem like some of them, they, uh, when they return, they just completely throw those out of the window.
2: Yeah, that's, that's something that uh, the Christian church faces, Christian families ch- uh, face a lot of times. A lot of people are robbed of their faith within the university system. Um, sometimes the child is not grounded uh, well enough, uh, and they go off to university sometimes uh, people choose universities because they get a scholarship the school university because it's cheap they're not prepared to go to the christian university where they can get more reinforcement Uh, but i would say that uh, often the child is not prepared to live in a secular environment and i think parents if they're going to send a child to a secular school need to uh, spend some time preparing the child for the eventuality of what they're going to face within the secular school my son who went to the u w i University of West Indies? He did uh, biology and chemistry, and I mean he was taught evolution at the University of West Indies, but he would always come home and laugh, and we would laugh at the the subject itself. Uh, he was never once moved by all the the, the, the teaching that was done in the ear of evolution et etc et cetera, because he 's grounded right uh, so I never had a fear that he would be robbed of his faith uh, when he went to a secular university as the u w i was uh, and uh, But I do, I'm do i aware that there are many Christian parents that send their kids overseas, especially to a place like England where it's almost a pagan country now. Uh, and uh, when they come back, they're al- almost purged of every form of religion. You would never think that they ever a- actually had any kind of biblical knowledge. That's a danger. But I think once a parent decides that a child is going to secular school, the best thing they could do is try to prepare them. Uh, one book I would recommend to parents Uh, if your child is going off to a secular college because of the kind of um, problems he's going to face and the confrontation he's going to have with the secular truth uh, one of the great books that he should read before he actually leaves is is How Christianity Changed the World. I cannot suggest a better book uh, for people going off to academic studies in a secular university than to actually read that book to get a greater appreciation of what how Christianity really transformed uh, the world. And a lot of um, advances that we made in the world uh, was a result of the foundation that was laid by Christian people in education and law, uh, uh, in science. Science in particular, by the way, could never have achieved the level it has except the Christians had laid the foundation for the concept that they are a God who regulates this world by laws, and Christians were motivated to find out what those laws were, and that is what led to the actual pursuit of of modern science. Uh, Unfortunately, we have now been robbed of that uh, by especially the the work of Darwin and evolution. But people who study uh, these matters and understand who laid the foundation, I can can name uh, scientists after scientists who are Christians, uh, right off the bat without even thinking. These are the men that laid the foundation of modern uh, science. But unless our people or our, our, our children are aware of these things, uh, they can feel intimidated when they attend a secular school and uh, be beaten by a professor who has certain academic qualifications and who has a, an ability to communicate um, that falsehood as though it is true. So these things do happen.
1: I could think of uh, Michael Fadi uh, right off the bat. He was great scientist. I can think
2: of Kepler. I can think of Copernicus. I can think of uh, Newton. Um, those are the ones that come to mind almost immediately. You mentioned Michael Farr there. I can think of Pasteur. Um, I can think of Pascal as well. Uh, these are men. I can think of John Dalton. Uh, all of these were Christian scientists, men that were motivated by the fact that This is an intelligent world created by an intelligent God who made laws. And the world is governed by laws. And they went through the process of trying to discover what... They didn't make the laws. They were trying to discover these laws. But that's what motivated them to actually pursue academic uh, scientific studies.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Murphy. You know you had mentioned about the highest purpose of education is the discovery of truth. What is truth? And how would you define it?
2: Well, generally truth is that which conforms to reality as man knows it in terms of man's total experience. Um, uh, Truth has certain attributes or certain characteristics. Um, Let me mention these for just a moment. Uh, First of all, truth is eternal. Truth is not something that has a beginning or has an end. Uh, Truth is something that originates in God because God himself is truth. So when it comes to truth, Uh, It has an eternal aspect of it. Truth is also something that's immutable. It does not change. Uh, Although our perception or understanding of truth may change, truth itself is immutable. Uh, Truth is not a a, a product of some kind of... uh, You've heard of Hegelian, uh, uh, what do you call the dialectic, where you got a thesis... An antithesis, and then you have a a synthesis. So his whole idea is that truth evolves, and we get get greater uh, refinement as a result of truth. Uh, That's not what truth is. Truth is something that is not only eternal, but it's something that is immutable. It doesn't change. It's not something that evolves. It's something that's eternal and immutable. And then the other thing is that truth is absolute. And what I mean by that is that truth is not something that is relative or something that is situational. Truth is something that is transcendent and something that uh, is universal and applies to everybody. And then the fourth thing about truth is that truth is indivisible. And what I mean by that, that truth is coherent. Um, It is non-contradictory, and truth is a harmonious whole. So when you think about truth, it is not only something eternal, something immutable, it's something also that is absolute and something that, in a sense, is indivisible and something that uh, harmonizes and uh, coheres within itself. For example, any concept of truth <laughs> that denies the invisible or denies that uh, there's a spiritual spart- part of man cannot be true. Man has a material part, man has a spiritual part. Uh, to deny that there's a, a, a spirit realm again cannot be true. Even those who are not Christians understand that there is a spirit realm that goes beyond the material. So there is a spiritual realm and there is also a material realm. And uh, anything that that contradicts uh, the spiritual material realm certainly cannot be truth. And of course because God is spirit, this is the spiritual part of, of humankind, and also because he created the material world, that is the physical part of the material world as well. So that is what truth is. It it corresponds with reality. It's not something that we can uh, exclude any particular part of reality. Uh, It it, it corresponds to it, and it coheres in itself. It's It's not contradictory. It's eternal, and it's immutable, and it is absolute. It's binding upon all humankind.
1: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are broadcasting from Antigua. At 11:60 kilohertz .AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and you could also listen online at org. You're listening to that Truth, and tonight we are discussing Christian education.:
2: But I, was gonna, I might want to add here for just a second, uh, because uh, Christian education is, is concerned with absolute truth. And that's the final goal of any kind of education. As a matter of fact, all philosophies are discovering truth. Uh, This is why all man-made philosophies uh, will forever lead to error and confusion because they're based on the wrong reference point. Uh, Man's philosophy is either based as man as a reference point, where man is the, the, the absolute judge of all things, he's the measure of all things, if it is not uh based on man, it's based on government where the government is seen to be the the uh the object lives and one dies the state becomes almost a god or um uh, it is based on nature as the ultimate reference point or reason human reasoning uh the intellect uh rational rational what's called r- rationalism where that we depend only on the intellect. Uh, to decide on truth, that that is totally inadequate because man's intellect is 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 finite and man is a fallen being. Sometimes it is based on some kind of a false religion or intuition. That's the reference point that helps people to understand what truth. Or sometimes, or sense experience. But our senses can deceive us, as anybody would know. Sometimes people base uh, truth on their emotions and how they feel. That is totally inadequate, or sometimes there's some cultic emphasis that is given in respect to these matters. It's only the Christian philosophy of life that has God as its ultimate reference point uh, that is going to, uh, that is able uh, to give man direction and purpose and meaning and help man to understand what's the ultimate goal and meaning in life, only the Christian philosophy of education can provide that kind of a reference point.
1: But, Pastor, you mentioned um, reference point. Could you um, elaborate more on that?
2: Well, every individual has a reference point in the sense that um, they view life from a a perspective, what I mean by that is that is an essential core of beliefs uh, that everybody holds to, that governs how we act, how we behave, and how we interpret the events that we experience in life. That is our reference point. If I might use an example, <clears throat> for example, an atheist, his reference point is that there's no God. Everything he sees in life no matter what seems to give meaning and purpose or what seems to have order or have intelligence, because he sees them from that perspective, nothing makes sense to him. Everything is random and accidental. A man that is an agnostic, no matter how you try to persuade, his reference point is that we can't know. So no matter how you try to show him that you can know, his reference point, he sees everything through the reference point that knowledge cannot be fully known. A person who's a pantheist, for example, who believes that uh, God is in everything and everything is God? Uh, that perspective governs how he interprets every aspect of his life. A deist, for example, a person who believes that God created and then God through the universe. God is an absentee landlord; the world is left to just survive on its own. Uh, again, his, that perspective—that is his reference point—and everything in life he sees it from that perspective. Same thing with a humanist. Uh, or, or rationalists or empiricists. Every one of those individuals look at life from a distinct perspective. Reference points, that's what we mean, the perspective through which you see your philosophical spectacles that color how you see things is what we refer to as your reference point. And in the case of the Christian, our reference point is God and Scripture. And uh, this is where we get our meaning and our purpose. And, our, and everything that we do as believers, that reference point influences... Uh, how we understand, how we perceive, how we interpret, and how we are motivated, and what we try to achieve, what's our objective, what our goals are. That's our reference point uh, as believers. And only Christian church and, and, and faith in Jesus Christ can provide a reference point that's big enough to encompass all of life.
1: You know, Pastor Murphy, I was listening to a program yesterday, not on, uh, not on Radio Lighthouse, but um, they were talking about we are so advanced in technology today, and so um, you, you depend more upon artificial intelligence in predicting the future and all these things. You would categorize that as a reference point?
2: Well, if, you, if technology is what you believe in and uh, technology has the answer for all of man's problems, that's your reference point. So you, no matter how you engage, whatever activity you engage in, uh, you're going to see technology as a solution to the human problem. Uh, I listen to this guy, Gottfeld, on Fox sometimes. He he believes that robots are the, the future. Everything he believes is that, uh, you know, it'll become robotic, and therefore, the you know, we're going to lose all the jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, your perspective, really, and your reference point, uh, really colors how you view things, how you interpret life. For a Christian, and when it comes to education, God is our reference point, and the Bible is our reference point. And these are the two things that guides the philosophy of Christian education and uh, helps us to interpret scriptures and decide on what methods we use, what principles uh, govern uh, our teaching. Uh, And that's why uh, I think, overall, uh, we have this ennobling desire to to excel because we represent God, and uh, we want to uh, show His excellence in everything that we do.
1: Pastor, we have a question here from a caller from Saint Martin. It's a little off the topic of Christian education, but it has to do with values. Um, would you like to tackle it now? Let Say, me,
2: if I can tackle, I will. If I if I need to uh, take a deal with it next week, I will. Let me see if I can answer it.
1: Said older men are not respecting women these days, especially young younger women. They look on them inappropriately to lust after them. No manners, no politeness. They don't know how to treat a woman. I believe it stems from not being taught from young, properly, moral values. Pastor Murphy, could you shed some light on this? Well, I
2: know we have been a moral decline since the 1960s. Uh, the revolution, the secular revolution... Uh, took place in the 1960s, the drug revolution took place in the 1960s, etc. I don't think we've recovered as yet. Uh, I think that uh, those who lived in the 60s would know it was a turbulent time um, that we all went through. And the morals of the country just seemed to, not only in America, but globally, just completely uh, became uh, dismantled. And um, we end up in what is called moral chaos. Now We're now living in 2020 a long time ago and we've lost a generation uh to um immorality the, the church the consensus the christian consensus is now gone there used to be christian consensus but that's now gone in the western world all of that has affected uh the way men uh, view women the other thing of course is that the high standard that women uh, should have it, it's been on the decline as well and when women present themselves, only as sex objects. Uh, that's how they become objectified by men. They just see them purely from the concept of sex. So when a woman uh, accentuates uh, only her body, that seems to be the only thing that matters uh, if she is um, sexy or attractive, um, you know when you when she does that, whether she knows it or not, whether she appreciates it or not, it, it not only demeans womanhood. But it brings women to the point where they're only perceived to satisfy men and satisfy uh, their lust and their desires. This has also helped uh, in the process of decline in terms of men having good moral values. I sometimes, if I walk down the, the street I'm living in uh, close to St. John's, anybody can do that. Stand by a wall any day, anywhere, or stay inside the bank and look to a window. And uh, watch the young men when the young ladies pass, almost without fail. Once you pass, he looks at her, he sizes up her buttocks, he sizes up her body, and he smiles, he says one or two things. But you know what's in his mind? His mind is already in his mind that he, I wouldn't mind sleeping with her. Or he looks. she looks sexy, she doesn't look sexy. I think that has helped uh, in some way to, uh, to create this moral vacuum that we have where there's a, such a disrespect uh, for women. Um, you know, I, I can't don't want to seem vulgar i don't want to seem as though um i'm demeaning uh uh women etc cetera, etc cetera. but even the way they dress to be very honest you, more of them are outside the, the dress than inside the dress sometimes you wonder if they had to get into what they're what they're wearing uh you know it's, it's it's total madness how can a man uh respect women when in truth in fact all they're seen to be saying to the way that they carry themselves and how the way they dress, listen, I am just about sex. I'm just sexy. How then does she expect him to value her inner person, her different qualities, when the only thing she projects is her sexuality? And I think that has led to the decline of men respecting women and seeing them other than objects to fulfill their base desires. It's unfortunate. The Christian church has a lot of work to do to rebuild the morals in society and to rebuild the home and rebuild the family and to reestablish um, uh, um, morals within the the family structure I I think it's a whole rebuilding process and if we're going to salvage the next generation it would only be because we get back to saving the home restoring the family and once again um, getting values and and morals back with it. Just ask yourself are you contributing towards that? Uh, and and ask yourself very objectively, uh, am I am I um, assisting in this process? But uh, it's a problem. I acknowledge the problem. It's a problem, not just outside in the world. It's a problem within and the proper role of sex within the marriage context. I think if we can do that, we can probably help to salvage the generation that is already on a downward uh, decline.
1: Probably this could um tie into um the values of um christianity ed- because he mentioned the I believe it stems from not being taught from young properly moral values
2: that there's truth in that because mm. you know within the home but erskine with very few exceptions, there's the absentee father uh you know um most of the problems we face in society uh, people say it's, it's a result of poverty but where did the poverty come from right a lot of our poverty stands from the fact that we have irresponsible men who produce children never took care of the kids which put a woman in a precarious position where she has to, uh, to provide for her kids she can't do that the second guy comes around promises the world gives her a second child now she has to take care of two. If she couldn't take care of one, I know she'll take care of two. She finds herself in another predicament. Number three comes around and promises her he will take care of the two, can't understand what the other two abandoned, and then she got a third child. Before you know it, uh, within five or six years, she's got five or six different children for five or six different men, and none of them had taken on the responsible care for the child. That's how poverty and then we turn around and we want to blame society, we want to blame the government, we want to blame everybody. The problem is irresponsible men, irresponsible women who do not are uh, uh, able to practice continence and self-control, and understand that the proper expression of sex is only within the context of marriage. Uh, as long as a man can get his milk free, he is not inclined to want to work t- to uh, to maintain it, and uh, that is part of the problem. But it, it, in, within the Christian school. Respect for uh, uh, females is taught within the Christian school, so that is part of the, the whole process. But again, unless the values taught in the school is reinforced in the home, you still have this disparity and this confusion in the child's mind. So you have to have the values of the school that the school are trying to instill in the child reinforced within the home setting. So it has to be a two-prong attack. Not just the Christian school is not the final solution to the problem. The the real solution to the problem in any country is the home. If I was a government, my entire focus would be to rebuild the home. And uh, whatever is required to rebuild the home and reinstill um, discipline and morals within the home, that would be my goal As if I was part of a government. And I think once you can accomplish that, you will almost not only change society, uh, but you will change the very culture uh, of the nation.
1: Thank you, Pastor Murphy, and let's say thank you to that... um, All of them, St. Martin, we do appreciate you being a part of the program. And remember, if you'd like to have a question or topic for us here on that street, feel free to do so. We'll be glad to answer your question. Or if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we'll be glad to do so. And if you'd like to go live on air, the number to reach us is 268 462 Seven four two zero, or if you want to WhatsApp or text, the number is two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor Murphy, we've been talking about reference point, and if you you could elaborate what it means in a more concrete terms of um, restaurant point, I would be glad.
2: Well, um, when we talk again about the reference point, uh, if you're going to have a valid, uh, valuable reference point that colors your perspective on life and gives you a system of evaluating and interpreting what happens in your experiences and also gives you some direction and purpose to where you're headed in terms of your destiny, etc., etc., a reference point has to be something external to man. Man cannot be his own reference point. Uh, I mentioned that man is fallen. Man is is finite, and uh, man needs a reference point that's independent of himself, and he needs something, by the way, that's not below him. He needs something that's higher than he is. So, if he makes anything on planet Earth his reference point, which is below him, he's actually demeaning his dignity. But if he has a reference point that's above him, which where we we are recommending that the greatest reference point is God Himself then he has an elevated concept of life. Another thing about reference point: a man's reference must be fixed. It cannot be something that is subject to the whims of change, or to the whims of uh, a situation, or even some agency or some culture because it changes, et cetera, et cetera. Your reference point is something that's stable like the North Star. No matter what happens, uh, your perspective doesn't change because your perspective is grounded in truth. In other words, you have to have something that is um, beyond that which is is, is um, mutable. It has to be something that is, is, is fixed. The third thing about it, that it has to be something that's objective. I'll tell you why that's important. Uh, try as we may as human beings. None of us can be consistently objective in the absolute sense. Uh, we are influenced by our biases, by our prejudice, by our tastes. Uh, by our uh, uh, predispositions, by our culture, uh, by our moral mores, uh, we ourselves are inadequate to be completely and totally objective. That is why we need something that is beyond ourselves and that gives us a greater objectivity. And, of course, the reference there that would give you objectivity never changes that is going to be true today as it is to be true tomorrow, uh, that whether you feel a certain way or you have a prejudice or a bias, uh, it will never change. It will always remain uh, I- immutable. That would be God Himself, His character, and the Word of God. Uh, so you, you need, when it comes to reference points, you need something that is external to man, something that's objective uh, as well, and something that is fixed. Uh, those are the criteria that will help you to know whether you have a, a, a reference point that has value and that uh, is valid. Without objectivity, without um, the fact that it is it's fixed and unchanging, and without the fact that it is external to man, uh, you're not going to find an adequate reference point by which you can live and interpret life.
1: What constitute a valid reference point from which to view and live?
2: Well, again, um, if we are going to uh, live life successfully, um, we have to have something far beyond ourselves. And I have been emphasizing uh, uh, throughout various questions that you've asked tonight that the only valid reference point that... Uh, offers man something beyond himself something that's after something that's unchanging and immutable and uh, that reference point had to be god himself i don't think you can find a, a nobler concept or a nobler philosophy to govern one's life and direct one's pursuits uh whether it's his goals or destiny than uh, god himself and that would in my mind would be the ultimate of what man should aim at and use as his reference point I think that would ennoble life and this would uh, give direction and meaning and purpose to one's existence. Mm -hmm. Well, I I thought I just asserted uh, again that uh, valid reference, I mentioned the three characteristics of valid reference points, it has to be objective, I I mentioned the fact that it has to be fixed and stable, and um, I also uh, mentioned that it had to be something external to man. Um, those that's the criteria by which you and if you take those three things and apply them to to God and apply them to scripture, you'll find that uh, he is the adequate reference point that man needs uh, to live life and to, from which to even to view the educational process as what we're trying to achieve, what, the goals, etc. Et I think um, that criteria would help a person to establish what um, um, a, a good reference point would be in terms of a philosophy of life in terms of uh, how you the perspective from which you, you look at life and from which you evaluate events and experiences uh, that you encounter here.
1: Okay, based on what you've been saying, what about role, if any, does the school have in the moral education of children? Well look,
2: um let's be very honest and come and I'm, I'm assert at the very outset the 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 primary responsibility for moral education is the home. There's no dispute about that. I don't think anybody can question that, that it is the primary responsibility of the home to instill values and moral education in the child. The problem is that the home is failing. And uh, this is where um, the school um, now has to fill in that role. And, uh, you know, we are currently in a moral vacuum in our society. And we are in desperate need of some kind of, of moral uh, reform in education if we're going to try to restore some kind of level of morality uh, within our society. And I, I believe that the, the school can pay, play a role, and because the school prevents a, a real unique platform where uh, values can be transmitted to children. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Number one, they're, they're, we have a, in the school, you've got a captive audience. I mean they 're there for five hours six hours, so it 's not as though they can we 've got no five or six hours. Then the school is a controlled setting uh, the, the, the The school also has uh, has an already an educational environment where children are disposed to learn because they 're there to learn. The school also has uh, as part of their cur- a moral curriculum every Christian school. Uh, aimed at instilling certain moral principles within the child. And then there's also a relational framework within the school setting. And what I mean by that is that you have an authority figure, which is the teacher and the principal, and you have children who are subordinate learners. So you have a wonderful combination there. Uh, You're not going to find, generally speaking, that children are going to challenge the authority within the school. So you've got that wonderful. And then, of course, you have the disciplinary tool that can be used uh, to restrain uh, the child as well as to teach the child that there are consequences to their choices and the decisions that they make. Add to this the durative period of five to six hours per day and you'll see that the school really provides an excellent environment where uh, morals can be taught. Uh, one last thing, you've got the, the models uh, and the example within the school setting where in most Christian schools that I am aware of, You've got good teachers. Uh, Most in our school, I can only speak in respect to our school, we never hire a teacher unless we know that that teacher is involved in the church. So, and generally speaking, uh, people who are involved in in, in, in ministries dealing with children or youth or teaching, whatever, these are generally speaking very morally upright people. There are exceptions to the rule. But you can see then that you have the model actually within the school setting. So the school has a, 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 a really crucial role uh, that they can play in terms of uh, the enlightening children in terms of the moral, moral life and, and, and what rules and reg- regulations to govern their behavior. I want to quote um, what Lewis Hodge says about this matter, uh, which I think is important. Uh, he said these words. He said, To produce students who are well-informed, but not constrained by a moral conscience is probably the most dangerous outcome of education. I want to repeat that again. Uh, To produce students who are well-informed but not constrained by a moral conscience is probably the most dangerous outcome of education. He says, perhaps ignorance is better than a misguided intellect. He said, for the latter can and does do the most damage. I think that is well said, well said. So, if you have a person who is brilliant, uh, in, uh, has a brilliant mind, but yet who doesn't have a moral conscience, think of his potential for evil in society. And, uh, and, and, and uh, he is saying that it's better to keep that person to be ignorant than to actually educate them where they become a menace to society because they're not governed by a moral conscience. Uh, I think that is well said as well. So, the most dangerous people are those who have knowledge. But not a moral framework. There's another quote that I found by a guy called Ernest L. Boyer, and I want to quote what he said. He said, it's not the lack of technological information that threatens our society. It's the lack of wisdom. And we run the risk today of having our discoveries outdistance our moral compass. Uh, again, well said. Uh, and the importance, therefore, of understanding that this school is not just about academics, It's also about imparting values and moral education to our
1: children. So when you get a Christian education, that person should be well-rounded, be a well-rounded person.
2: That is the goal. That should be the goal of every Christian school. Uh, We try to excel in academics. I don't think there's a Christian school that's worth its salt, that doesn't try to do the best in terms of performance in whatever discipline they're teaching the child but at the same time I don't have a Christian school that is really Christian authentically that's not concerned about the moral conscience and imparting values to the child to help the child uh, not only how to make a living but how to live when he leaves the teaching environment or the school environment so I do feel that you need that kind of a balance within the Christian school
1: So we've been talking about um, morals and values but what exactly it meant by mor- uh, moral education
2: well when we talk about uh, moral education uh, let me state first of all that we're not talking about the study of some ethical code in terms of trying to memorize like the ten commandments that's not moral education that may be part of moral education but not the end of mor- moral education because a child can we say cite the ten commandments and we, we think that he's important to know that uh, that is only part of the process of moral education. Uh, it's not merely also just shaping a moral conscience in a child. That's important. It is. In, it involves the application of moral principles, uh, not just the impartation of those principles for the sake of having an informed mind. So when we talk moral education, we are talking about uh, actually... Uh, teaching principles and having the child apply apply those moral principles to his life. So it's, it's developing a moral framework that will guide the child's life, not just in a social sense, but also in a personal sense as well, so that the student is not just concerned about what will work, he's concerned also about what is right. Uh, what, is work, what, what works is pragmatism. I just do because that brings me certain kinds of success, or it brings me some <coughs> kind of money. There are people who are completely controlled by a pragmatic lifestyle. they only concern what works for me. Moral education of uh, uh, goes beyond that. It's not just about what works, but what is actually right, and what is correct, and what is godly, and what is biblical. That is what moral education is about, so it's not a job, just about a theory or examining uh, ethical code or memorizing ethical code is actually bringing that ethical code into the practice in the personal life of the individual uh, so that they begin to do and live by that which is right rather than that which is uh, somehow will work for them and make them successful. It goes beyond that. We are concerned about moral living and moral conduct.
1: You are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and our program is that's truth? and if you'd like to pose a question to Parf- Pastor Murphy live on air that number to reach us is 268 462 7420 that number once again 268 462 7420 or you could send us a whatsapp or text at 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four, or if you want to send us an email, you could do so to crl that's truth, at gmail dot com, or you could send us a message from our Facebook page. Pastor Murphy, let's continue. Um, how can moral values be communicated in the education framework of um, a school?
2: Well, let me put it this way. I think it's impossible to put a child in a sustained contact with an adult, where the adult, in this case, is a teacher, without the adult exerting some kind of moral influence on the child's life. So in a real sense, all teachers influence the values of a child, whether for better or for worse, they are actually uh, shaping morals in a child's life by the mere uh, sustained contact between the child and the teacher. But there are four ways uh, that the teacher can communicate uh, moral values uh, to the student within the framework of the educational setup. Uh, One of those ways is by um, stating moral truths in what you might call propositional form. So what I mean by that is explicitly declaring uh, values and making value statements and uh, asserting what is moral and what is immoral. For example, what I mean by that is, for example, when you tell a child that cheating on a test is wrong, is immoral, that is stating a moral principle in propositional form. I'm actually stating it in a- actual words. There are opportunities that a teacher has within the school setting to make those kind of explicit statements it is, wrong, uh, to disrespect your teacher. Uh, it is wrong to disrespect your teacher. It is wrong to take something that is not yours. Uh, those are presenting moral truths in a propositional form, and those are opportunities that every teacher has within this teaching environment to try to influence the morality of the children. But, of course, there are limitations to that because the, if you're operating within a secular school, uh, the way things are going these days, you almost got to be very careful that you're not seeing as though you're trying to impose your Christianity on, 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 on society. Now, that was never a problem before because we always perceive ourselves as a Christian nation. But somehow, uh, we are now perceiving ourselves as a secular nation. I don't think, I don't know, when I was a boy, I, my parents never had problems. They were not Christians, but never had problems of being taught uh, Christian principles. But somehow we're living in a society you now that the moment you begin to do that, it seems as though you're prejudiced at other religious groups. But let's f- never forget what politicians are always saying when it benefits them that we are a Christian nation. <laughs> so if we're a Christian nation, uh, we should not at all feel intimidated to express Christian principles within the school setting. But again, we are moving away in certain directions that lead people to feel that their jobs may be in jeopardy if they take a firm Christian stand on certain issues. In a Christian school, of course, that's not. So the second way in which uh, the teacher can impart uh, moral values to the child is in the context of the relationship that is sustained to the child. Students pay attention to what teachers say and what teachers do. And I would say this to most uh, teachers, children crave the approval of a teacher they're in a real unique situation Uh, generally speaking in a primary school a child doesn't do uh, his work because he loves to study he does his work because he wants to please the teacher and the teacher only understands the vital role that that she or she plays within that child's life uh, we learn that the best thing that he can do to improve the, the, the learning process within the classroom is to befriend the child and be a, a real uh, Have a good relationship with the child uh, Teachers' relationship with the children therefore are a powerful influence in shaping the child's moral life uh, by their uh, relationship with them and by their interaction with them and then the third way in which they can do this is through counseling And what I mean by that Uh, Depending on how open a teacher is, and not only that, how available a teacher presents herself uh, when a child is going through an issue at home or a struggle or difficulty with another student, if the child feels that the teacher cares, if they feel that the, the, the teacher is open... To to, uh, he or she coming to the teacher, if that person feels that the teacher is available and and doesn't seem as though the teacher uh, the child is imposing on his time, uh, there are many counseling opportunities that are presented within the school setting that allows a teacher to impart certain moral principles uh, to the child in regard to dealing with certain issues that are raised. Uh, within the school setting, and then f- the fourth way in which this can be done is through the the school's uh, curriculum. And what I mean by curriculum, not just talking about the the printed curriculum that is given within the school, but a, a much wider aspect of that. In other words, while you're teaching in the classroom, you're teaching in different settings. Uh, you can have issue-oriented discussions like take the coronavirus or take something else that's happening in society that is of a current event that people are deeply concerned about. A teacher can take that and uh, use that as a, their platform uh, to instill spiritual principles, to discuss moral issues, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, So they can use issue-oriented. The other thing is that uh, the, the, the kind of emphasis, what they choose to spend the most time on, Um, helps to create in the child's mind what is truly important for a teacher. If all a teacher does in a classroom is to teach math or to teach English and never gets to deal with moral issues and personal issues and social issues, uh, the child learns pretty much that this is just about academics. See, the, the balance that you give to the teaching process... You've got to teach the master, but there are always, whether you're, you're reading a story uh, in your social studies or you're reading a story in English, et cetera, et cetera, in your English book, there are always lessons that you can draw out and extract from that, 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 that thing that you're teaching that, that, that could bring out some kind of a moral emphasis. And then many opportunities will present themselves where you can say, uh, here's my view on this subject. Uh, s- s- many things arise That child. the child will ask you questions about Maybe something's going on at home Maybe something's happening in the classroom Something in the playing field Something they've heard in society They just want to hear the teacher's view I think that you can come from that angle Here is my perspective on this matter Here's my explanation of it And I- in doing that Indirectly you are imparting your values And your morals uh, to the child So there are multiple ways Uh, to answer your question, Brother Erskine, that teachers can be facilitators of instilling morals within the child, and those are just a few ways in which it can be done.
1: Also, I was thinking about um, the respect for other students and also for teachers in the um, school setting.
2: Yeah, Within the the Christian setting, for sure, that's a big point. Uh, I've heard of so much disruption in 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 other in secular schools, public schools, and I often wonder uh, why people prefer the Christian school. But I I've come to begin to realize that they they trust this Christian school, the environment. Uh, they they love the fact that they're learning moral principles. For example, our school we have a a Bible club that takes place three times a week, where children after school voluntarily would attend. Uh, my wife teaching in Flannel Bible Club stories, they've got parents who insist that the child don't go outside and play after school but attend these meetings and they see the value of it. Right? And I think that these are factors that help parents to feel much more comfortable, much more secure in the in teaching environment and, and in the school environment within the Christian school setting.
1: Okay, Pastor Murphy, In light of all you have said tonight, what is your view on the teaching of value um, clarification in the schools?
2: I am very much concerned, and I must say as a Christian um, and as a pastor and as a a father, I'm very much concerned about um, what they call value clarification within the, the public school setting. Uh, very much opposed uh, to the method that they use to try to shape um, values of children. And and here's why. Uh, Number one, value clarification in the the public school is based on the premise that moral values are merely personal and neutral. They are not universal and transcendent. In other words, uh, moral values are reduced to my preference, what I prefer as an individual. That is basically what moral clarification is. It's not designed to say to a child, this is wrong, that is right. Uh, the teacher takes a neutral role and lets the child come to his own conclusions. Now, Which generation, other than this generation, has ever allowed children to come to their own moral decisions? Uh, throughout biblical history, throughout Christian history is the impartation of impartation of wisdom that we have garnered the elders have garnered over the years and the lessons they've learned that have generally uh, helped to govern and to shape the moral life of a child. But we've now reached the point where not even the teacher can tell the child this is right or this is wrong. In value clarification, there's no right and wrong. It's what the child feels is the right thing to do. So if a child feels that lying to their mother will get them out of trouble, the teacher can't say that it's wrong. Uh, you just got to clarify uh, the matter. to you There's no right or wrong when it comes to morality. Uh, that's the problem I have, one of the problems I have with uh, value car- clarification. The other thing is that value clarification um, believes that the traditional way of indoctrinating children is inadequate for today's culture. So the values that your parents have, uh, they think it's inadequate to pass it on to your child because the culture is changing. The child needs the t- values that change with the culture, the culture changes. So we're left now in a state of moral flux. Nothing is absolute, nothing is certain, uh, nothing is universal. Everything is a state of flux. And again, I ask which generation has ever foregone the responsibility of passing on their wisdom and the knowledge to the next generation? But that is exactly where we are. So there are no absolute values uh, to build upon, and everything is culturally relevant. So what is right and what is wrong is no longer determined by some superior being or some external power or some universal uh, transcendent being. What is true uh, and what is right is determined by uh, the cultural setting and by the individual. And so they believe that that you can develop responsible values through the process of discussion and letting the individual child come to his own conclusions. Now, I don't have to tell you any person who've had, uh, who have children would know that children are not mature to come to that level of understanding at that point in time. Uh, they need to be taught, they need to be guided, they need to be mentored, and that is the responsibility, of course, of the home, but also is the responsibility of the teachers who are there to impart wisdom uh, to the child. And the other thing that I oppose here uh, as far as the value clarification is that the belief that human reason is the best means of developing values. See? It goes back to rationality. It, it totally excludes God from the picture and in the transcendent values. And no Christian can endorse a system like that. Because we believe in absolute values, we believe in a divine God, and we believe that there's moral truth. Uh, but when you reach to the point where you believe that human reason alone helps you to come to to the decision of what values are right, what values are wrong, you end up in complete chaos, because my reasoning might lead me in one direction, your reasoning way, and then we got we got a thousand little gods on earth trying to compete to decide what is right or wrong. We need some absolute standard by which we can, can judge matters. And the child becomes, uh, they believe that the child becomes uh, better equipped uh, to cope with the changing cultural norms if he flexes his belief system. He can't hold anything in a permanent form. Uh, it must be He must be almost like plastic to be molded by the changing culture of his time. And no Christian uh, can endorse a system of, like that in terms of teaching morals and teaching values.
1: Pastor, we have a WhatsApp a question from Montserrat. Here's the question. I pray that God the Father his Son and Holy Spirit will open doors into homes and greater platform to spread his teachings Dr. Murphy I strongly believe Christian education will change the life of this generation that way that's why Jesus said suffer the little children to come unto me and when he told Nicodemus one must humble him as a child in order to get into the kingdom of God.
2: I, I would endorse the sentiments expressed there by the the, uh, the person who sent in that email. Uh, but again, I, I would say if we're going to spread Christian education, we've got to understand that we it has to involve some kind of sacrifice. The problem we're having today is that uh, Christian teachers have got in their mind that they have to be paid the same way as the government would pay teachers That's a problem. And what I mean by that, education is something that is is very costly. The parents have to make a sacrifice. If the parents have to make a sacrifice, it means that this church has to make a sacrifice to get the Christian school going, and the teacher must be willing to make some kind of a sacrifice. Unless we are willing to offer some kind of a sacrifice in the interest of salvaging the next generation, uh, the advancement of Christian education uh, is going to be curtailed because um, look, I've been to homes in my visitation where I have actually almost turned away in in, in, in total uh, incredible disbelief. They've got I can think of a person who had three children in our Christian school and by the way our Christian school school fees is one of the lowest in the island probably the lowest at this point in time. Uh, I've been in a home where I and going to the home I had to step carefully because if I didn't step carefully I would go to the uh, go to the, the flooring. But that parent is making a sacrifice to get their child a Christian education. And I must tell you that when I when I left that home, uh I, 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 I was I was troubled. And I was also not only troubled but I was amazed at the level of sacrifice the parent was willing to make. In order for their child to come to Christian school, and that's why the philosophy that governs our, our educational system at Grace Baptist Grace Christian Academy is that we've always tried to keep Christian education so that the average Antiguan can send his child to our school. That has been the philosophy from this founding until now. We still maintain that standard, but to do that, we also need to help has the, the teacher to understand that when they come into our school. Uh, to play a role as the teacher, sacrifice is required. The parent is making a sacrifice. the church is making a sacrifice, and if God calls upon them as well to make a sacrifice. If we can do that and do it consistently, then the Christian cause can advance a Christian education can grow but without with the with the with the mindset that sometimes is pervasive, where everything is the almighty dollar, everything is the material part of it. Um that, in itself uh will cause Christian education to decline because as it gets more expensive, more expensive. It means that less people would be able now to send their kids to school, and that is where the problem has to be a balance somewhere. I think we've found that balance I hope we can maintain that balance uh, and I hope that other peop- other churches and other um uh, ministries Christian ministries that can maintain that kind of a delicate balance. Our school, by the way, is not for elitists. Our school is not for the person who's only working in a certain type of job. Our school is for the average Antiguan. And uh, and I, I'm a very, very, I don't want to use the word proud, but I'm very, very pleased that we're able to, to, to uh, have that concept as a guiding philosophy uh, that governs the education in our school.
1: Do you st- believe that Christian education Will change the life of this generation?
2: I, I think not just exclusively Christian education. I personally think that the primary um, influence in a child's life is the home. And I really think if we can fix the homes in any nation, whether it's Antigua, Barbados, St. Vincent, it doesn't matter, if we can fix the home and restore the home to what God intends it to be a husband and a wife with children caring for each other loving for each other and looking after the welfare of each other i think if we can create that kind of environment uh i think that would be perhaps even more powerful than the christian school and then out of that environment the christian school reinforces those values so you have not only just got the christian school working to restore values and morality you've got the christian home as well i think that in conjunction is what is needed, but it cannot be exclusively led to the left of the the, uh, Christian education. And of course, Brother Erskine, the church uh, plays a vital role uh, in this matter. So along with the Christian home, the Christian school, and the church, you get that 3 prong attack. I think you could pretty much substantially uh, help to transform uh, a nation, but it will not be done without sacrifice on the part of believers.
1: You know, Pastor Murphy, um, you talk about the church. When I was um, growing up as a, a lad, we used to have Sunday schools. They're different denomination. They used to have Sunday school. And I think um, apart from the government school, we used to have Sunday schools and you've been taught, you know, biblical principles and morals and so in Sunday school and A lot of kids used to go, but now you don't find that anymore in our society.
2: Yeah, I I, would respond to that too, um, Erskine. We had the dilemma in our church that we became gravely concerned about the fact that parents were not sending the children to Sunday school. We 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 couldn't figure it out. As a matter of fact, we've uh, had meetings. um, We've... uh, send out leaflets we've done every well several things we've done to try to get parents to send their child children to to school but we discovered that they weren't sending it so we became very very concerned how how are we going to solve this problem and what we what we found and which has worked for us uh, we found that the the best time to have center school for kids these days is in the evening now that might shock you right it's in the evening Parents don't seem to want to get up to prepare the children to go to Sunday school, etc., etc. But they seem to want an evening break. And what we have discovered uh, at one time we were running about five kids in our Sunday school. Now it's over twenty-seven. In the Su- evening, Sunday evening, from four o'clock to about five thirty is when we have our Sunday school, and it has grown and it continues to grow. Right? Uh, I, 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 when it was first offered, uh, suggested to me. That that's what we should do. I, as a pastor, was very pessimistic. I couldn't figure out, if I don't want to send my kid in the morning, why in the world would I want to send them in the afternoon? And then the ladies in our church um, c- came to me, particularly my wife, uh, and she said, hey, we should try this. I said, well, let's try it. And I am very thankful that the wisdom of women has guide us as men, because it has been phenomenally successful and continues on a regular basis. Uh, to have that many, and it's growing, right? What we're trying to do now as a result of the Growth of the Sunday School is try to bring in other dimensions to it, uh, try to arrange maybe taking them on a picnic, uh, do some things with the kids, uh, so that we just not only show that we're interested in teaching them Bible, but we're also interested in, in, in their social life and to, to, to interact with them, et cetera, et cetera. And Then there's some other things that need to be done. Uh, maybe uh, a Saturday, invite the parents for a fun time at the school, at the church, where we, we play games with the parents or play games with the kids, etc., etc. But uh, it, it requires creativity these days to, to 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 maintain a Sunday school. And I would suggest to those who are listening, I know that you might be a disbeliever like I was, but I can assure you that's working for us, and I suspect it would work for you as well. So it's something you need to try.
1: Well, we have now come to the end of our program for tonight. And we want to thank you so much for being a part of the program. I do trust that you have learned much on Christian education and moral values being imparted to our children today.